I'm amazed at Jesus. Again, this week I'm amazed at Jesus. I know, I, seem like I, I feel like I say this every week. I'm amazed at Jesus. But I am. Each week as I study God's Word, I'm amazed at who Jesus is. This amazing King, this surprising King who brings this surprising and amazing kingdom. These last few weeks we've been talking or working through the parables of Jesus and this kingdom of God. Talking a lot about how these parables of the kingdom connect with mission. And that season is behind us now, though it still echoes forward. As we move into the season of Lent and a season of discipleship about our relationship with God. But it's interesting, I was thinking about this even last week, that Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It has this tiny seed, the tiniest of all seeds that grows into the greatest of garden plants. There's a seed that is loaded with hope. The seed that is just brimming with potential, God's potential in it. And I see it again, this, this surprising way that the kingdom works, the way that the king works. That this kingdom is like a mustard seed, that Jesus even himself is like a mustard seed. It's interesting because Jesus begins his ministry, and we've already heard a sermon I preached a few weeks ago on Jesus' sermon. He said, the time has been fulfilled, or the, the time is finally right. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. And we went into some of that and what that meant. But what's interesting to me as it fits within our text this morning is that this is Jesus' beginning. This is like his inaugural address, like a prime minister would his first speech when he became prime minister. This is his inaugural address. And what he does, he, he goes to Galilee and starts looking for fishermen. Surprising. You know, I'm thinking of this king. He's going to start his new kingdom. He's going to go and get some great generals and some brilliant politicians and head to Jerusalem and take his throne. But like a mustard seed, this tiny of all seeds, he goes to Galilee. He starts calling fishermen. Four fishermen. And these guys are going to struggle to get it. Throughout their ministry with Jesus, throughout their time with him, they're going to struggle to get it. And a lot of times they're going to fail. Times when the tests come, they aren't going to, they aren't going to get it right. They don't finally get it until after Jesus rises again. Until after Pentecost and they begin to understand. These guys fail. I mean, I think they try, but they still don't get it sometimes. I think what they're looking for is a God of better blessing. A God who brings more and more and, and works life out for them. And what Jesus has come to be is a God of better hope. A God who doesn't make things easy, but yet he brings hope. Hope that one day things will be made right. Hope that if we are faithful to him, he will make things right. Jesus comes and he calls these four fishermen. But in the same way, he calls us as disciples today. He comes and he calls us to a new life. He calls us to a new way of living, to set down the old way. You see, God's the one doing the calling. He calls, excuse me, he calls us. See, it's interesting, I think about Jesus, and he's this, this radical rabbi, or something more like a prophet, it seems. But he comes, and, and you know, I, don't know if we, I don't know if you recognize this, or maybe you've heard someone tell you this before, but that Jesus called the disciples was pretty surprising in that time. When Jesus walked the ground of Galilee, in his day... Rabbis didn't call students. Students asked if they could be a student of a rabbi. You see, rabbis, they, they were prestigious people. They had honor and glory, and it would be sort of undercutting that if they wouldn't ask people, could you be my student? And yet Jesus goes and asks these guys to be his students, to be his disciples, his followers. I think, one, this shows that Jesus is up to something here. He's doing something different and surprising. 
But also I think it's so that we get it, that God calls us. That the living God is the one who calls us. We don't call God. It's not like we go to God and say, you know, God, I'm, I think I'm going to call you to be my God for a while. That God calls us, and then we have a response to that. The living God calls us into a relationship with Him. But it's also surprising to the people that He calls. I sort of hinted at it already, but He calls fishermen. Not scholars, not brilliant philosophers, heads of state or brilliant generals. He calls fishermen. People who work each day to provide for their families. People a lot like us. He calls normal people to be His followers this mustard seed group of guys. But it's interesting too, he calls and he says, come and follow me. Not just come and learn some stuff and see if it applies to you or not. He says, come and follow me. Go where I go. Live like I live. Follow me. Follow me in my service of other people. Especially the weak. Especially those who really need help. Follow those especially who it seems like everybody else wants to just forget about. Go and serve them. Follow me as I serve them. Follow me as I make sacrifices. As I put everything on the table for God to use or take away. Even my own life. Because Christ sacrificed everything for us, for God's kingdom, for God's purposes in this world. He's saying, come and follow me. But he also said more than that. He said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of people. I'm not just going to make you builders of churches and and great clubs. I'm going to make you fishers of people. Because people are important. As important as churches are, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love this place, and it's a great place for us to come and gather and worship. It fits us. But even more than that, God is calling us to be fishers of people. He's calling us to more than than positions on boards and chairs and, and, and ministries and meetings. He's calling us to more than this. It's calling us to fish for people. To come and spread this amazing news. To help our friends hear about Jesus, that they could believe in Him and their lives would be changed. He's calling us to be fishers of people. So it's really cool all the stuff that Jesus is doing as He's calling them. But I think the biggest thing, the most important thing for us to see is that God is calling His disciples. He's calling us into a relationship. First, He's calling us into a relationship with each other. As we gather here each Sunday to meet, that we, run, we rub shoulders with each other. We get a chance to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to love each other when things are going horrible. He calls us into a relationship with each other. You notice this, that he didn't call Peter and meet with him for a while and then send him off on his own. And then, Andrew, now your turn. Come speak with me. Okay, now you go do James, John. Okay, John, wait while I talk with James. No, he calls them all together. That part of their following of Jesus is being in it together, of encouraging each other. So that's important, that they have this relationship. He's calling them into a relationship with each other. That's really important. But even more than that, the most important part, and if you hear anything else today, hear this, that he calls us into a relationship with himself. Jesus calls us into a relationship with the living God. As covenanters, we believe in this. We affirm the necessity of new birth, which is kind of an older way of saying saying that we believe in in a real relationship with Jesus. A living, breathing relationship with Him. That rituals 
as important as those are, they don't make us right with God. Doing the right things, they're good and God calls us that, but they, don't, they are not the same thing as a relationship with Jesus. Spending time with Him, praying, reading His Word, hearing others speak His Word into our lives. This is the most important part. If you hear anything else today, listen to this. God is calling you into a relationship with Him. He desires to know you and for you to know Him. It's funny, this week I, I met with my pastor in Spokane. From, I mean, it's, it's been, I've, I've known him for years now. One of the men who's helped me in faith. And he kept telling me again and again, he reminded me again that, Jason, if you will be right with God, if your relationship is right with God, everything else begins to work out. It's not always easy, but it begins to work out in God's design. The, the main thing is your relationship with Jesus. So Jesus is calling these guys. He's calling them uh, in like this surprising way. And he's calling them to come and follow him and to be fishers of people. But above all of that, he's calling them into a relationship. And the thing is, these guys respond. These disciples, these fishermen, these kind of rough and tumble guys, they follow him. They respond. They set down their old life and they pick up this new life that, God, that Jesus has offered them. They set down the old and they pick up the new. This is pretty convicting for me as I watch the way these guys respond. Because they respond with total devotion. Jesus says to them, come and follow me. And you know what they don't say? They don't say, you know, it's real, I'm really busy right now. Actually, I'm just, I just cast my net. And fishing is going great right now. Can we, can we talk next week? I mean, I've got some time. I think, you know, that's not what they say. Can you imagine it? They don't say, they don't say, you know, just, I, I've got a lot of stuff going. I think I could squeeze you in maybe two to three hours a week. How is that? Could that work? No, they respond with their whole lives. Total devotion to him. He has this call on them and they respond. It's interesting. And it shows me too like how powerful God's call is. How powerful. When Jesus says to someone, come follow me, just how powerful it is. Sometimes I wish he could meet some of my friends. I wish Jesus could come and just show up as himself and, and say, come follow me to some of these people I love that I want them to follow Christ. I wish he could do that. <laughs> I mean, I wish that he would, but anyways, in God and his glory. Um, but it's interesting too that how these guys, they follow him. You know, it tells us that, that Peter and Andrew, they were casting, they were actually in the act of fishing. James and John, they were mending the nets. These guys were both doing, or these, these four men were all doing something. It's not like they're just sitting around waiting for God to, to tell them what to do. They were in, already in their lives doing stuff. And yet they responded immediately. Immediately. Right then and there. And that one moment they're fishing and, and fixing nets, and that's the next moment they're following Jesus. You see, these guys did it. These just normal fishermen. They did it. They, they responded to Christ. They responded to His call in their life. They did it. I mean, if these guys can do it, I think we can do it. And you know what? They, they really gave up a lot. When you start thinking about what they left to follow Jesus, I mean, first they left their livelihood. I mean, these guys were fishermen, and, and now they're not. Like, fishing was how they paid for their bills, how they paid for their home, how they fed their families. 
And they just walked away from that. They also left their identity or their vocation. I mean, some of you kind of know what this is like. I mean, if, when you're in, in your job, you get used to saying, someone asks you, hey, what do you do? And of all the things you do, the first thing you assume is, I'm a builder, I'm a carpenter, or I'm a plumber, or I'm an office uh, manager. We think of, when they say, what do you do? We say, I'm a teacher. That our, our job begins to come, become part of who we are. And that happens in our culture. I mean, it's an interesting thing. But these guys leave this. You know, Peter, for, the last, for, for years now, people ask Peter, what do you do? And he says, I'm a fisherman. And he just leaves that. But it's also, they leave their family as well. Not only do they leave their livelihood and their vocation, they also leave their family. James and John were in the boat with their father, Zebedee. The Zebedee's, Zebedee's boys, they leave the family business. Fishing runs in their blood. At least for two generations now, their family have been fishermen. The father and the sons working in the boat. And they leave it. I mean, I don't know, some of you maybe have worked in a family business. You, can, you know what the pressures are or, or what a big deal that is to just walk away from family business. But it was even more important in that time. You see, when Jesus lived, family was, was, was what you had. They didn't have credit cards and credit ratings. They had family and the honor of a family. So people could say, oh, you're, you're Zebedee's boy. Okay, then let's do some business. Oh, you're Zebedee's boy. Okay, I'll trust you with this. Without family, if you had a dishonored family, it was a hard go. It was hard to make life work because people didn't trust you. Your honor was important and your family identity was extremely important. And these guys just leave it. They just leave it there with the nets. These guys leave even their identity. But in all this together, all this livelihood, this vocation, this family, their identity... It all could be lumped together as they leave their security and their comfort. They leave what's comfortable to them, what has been working for them. They leave as prosperous business. I mean, James and John, they leave, Mark tells us that they leave a boat, their father, and hired hands. They had workers there with them. So this is not just some tiny little family operation. This has got employees. It's a, it's a going business. And they leave it. They leave all these things, all these comfortable things, all of these securities that they have, and they follow Jesus. Is anybody freaking out right now? Is anybody challenged by this? I know I am. Challenged by what they leave, what they're willing to set down, what they're willing to set down to follow Jesus. And we need to hear this, because sometimes, especially in our culture right now, we have a lot of stuff like God has blessed us with great things and we can get attached to them. I mean, I know this in my own life, start getting attached to things. Like, God, absolutely, I'll follow you, but oh, maybe, can I just keep that thing? Can I just keep that? Or can I keep doing this or keep living here? Or... I think God wants us to have an open hand with these things. The things in our lives, whether it's the place we live, the home we have, the stuff that we have, or the job that we have, to have an open hand, that we're ready when he calls us to set those things down. That when he calls us, we're ready to set them down and follow him. You know, it's interesting. I believe that God does a lot. Like he, there are things that he removes, especially if they're between us and him. But he also re- re- replaces a lot of things or gives them right back to us. I mean, many of you began following Christ and he changed your life. And you didn't have to stop your job and do something. I mean, some of you may have. 
But many of you were able to stay right where God had put you so you could minister to people there. When God started working in my life, I wanted to leave the job that I had. I wanted to stop doing what I did and follow him. I mean, I, had, I worked in a, in a business, in an office building. And God, through things in my life, but also his work in me, has left them. I didn't even want to do them anymore. I wanted to follow him. And Tracy and I, we moved into this tiny little apartment in Vancouver. She was working for a nonprofit. I'm going to school, like barely making it and eating soup every day. <laughs> but also God has worked, and God has been faithful in that to me. I mean, I'm here with you, this great family and this great church, and I mean, I'm building a house right now. Our house is being built for us, is a better way to say it. God still wants good things for us. But he just doesn't want them to become a, a barrier between us and him, that we'd put them between us and him. So I think, of, like, oftentimes we think, of, you know, that sometimes, like, you know, poverty is what God desires. No. Throughout Scripture, he talks about wanting to lift people out of poverty. God desires to give us life. He says that the enemy has come to steal and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more full. Now, he doesn't ever want riches to get in the way, but poverty is not somehow more spiritual. I mean, I know a lot of people who are poor. And they aren't any necessarily more faithful. I, know, I, have people, I have friends that I know who are wealthy and they are faithful. It's about our relationship with God, not the amount of money in our bank account. So I hear God calling us to be faithful, to be willing to set these things down, to be really, to be genuinely ready to set things down to follow Him. What I'm saying here is that following Jesus it demands a lot of us. It's not going to be easy. And many times in life it's going to be difficult because life won't cooperate. I mean, I look at you and I know some of your stories. We know that life doesn't always cooperate. And just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean that he's going to get life to cooperate for us. It's interesting, I've been reading Larry Crabb, Dr. Larry Crabb, and he's talking about this idea of oftentimes we desire a God of better blessing. We want a God of better blessing. Because life doesn't work out. Life won't cooperate. Life won't go along with our plans. So I think the next thing we can do is, well, let's at least get a God who will make life cooperate. A God who will, who will take it when things get hard, he'll make them good again. Or when, trouble, when really troubling things come, that he will make sure they don't affect us. But at least we can have a God who makes things easy. And we know this stuff doesn't come free. We're ready to work for it. You know, fine, I will pray more. I will read my Bible more. I'll serve in the church. I'll serve other people. Just so long as God comes through when I need him to. And even still, even that becomes a God of better blessing. I'm doing this so God will be a blessing to me. This idea like this cosmic genie in a lamp or this heavenly vending machine that God is about making my life easier. It's funny, I was thinking about an example of this and sort of unfortunate, but it's, I think about my son Corbin. You know, he's four and he loves presents right now. Loves presents. <clears throat> Talks about them all the time. His birthday is coming this week and his grandmas are coming. Oh yeah, Mark, you're right. Mark's thinking, oh yeah. Yeah, the grandmas, bless my, my mom and Tracy's mom, they love, our, they love our sons. And they express that love with gifts. They, they love those boys a lot. 
And so my son, my, like he's, he loves the presents. And, and we start talking like, you know, Amma and Nana, they're coming this week. And he gets so excited. And then next thing he starts talking about presents. And like, how much primary presents are they bringing in? <laughs> and, you know, it's, I know he loves them. But sometimes I, I, I have to wonder. Like sometimes I get confused. It's confusing. Like does he love them because of, because of who they are? Because that they love him? Because they would do anything for him? Or has he got kind of caught up in loving them because when they show up, so do the presents. <laughs> you see, my son, I mean, he's four years old. And this, this is, uh, at, at worst, this is a, an immature love. And sometimes we, as adults, you know, 30, 40, 60, and 70 years old, we still struggle with this. Loving God for what God does for us. Loving God, we want a God of better blessing. God, we'll love you and we'll do all the things you ask so long as you do the things that we ask. I just, God, a better blessing. But this is an immature love. A love that's not, not so much a love, but more of an exchange, a business agreement. God is trying to mature us, to grow us up in faith. So we, while we may want a God of better blessing, what we need is a God of better hope. We need a God of better hope. Because we know that this world is broken. We don't have to look much further than our own lives. That We know there is pain, there is suffering, there is loss. This world does not work the way that it's supposed to. And we know this. We know this. In our gut, we know this. We know that we were meant for more. Do you ever just have those moments when you're sitting there quiet and you think, I'm not sure what to do with myself right now. I just don't feel content. I think something's wrong. We were meant for more. And it's the truth. I mean, Adam and Eve, when they lived in the garden, they walked with God. They had this intimate relationship with God. They spent time with Him face to face. They had this amazing relationship with God. And then when things went wrong, when sin broke everything up, they were cast out. But we still have that image in us, that, that same desire to be close to God. That feeling we have, that gnawing feeling that there's something more, that there's supposed to be more, I'm convinced that it is this longing for God. And not this tiny God of better blessing, because that will never be enough. But this, this longing for God, God in capital G, God, this God of better hope. That the closer we get to Him, the more we will desire Him, the more that we'll love Him. See, I'm beginning to think that this longing we have, it doesn't mean that something is wrong. It means that something is right in us. See, so often we think like, man, I just, I'm just not happy with this stuff, or I don't know, and we try to fill it with all sorts of things. We start to try and fill it with more stuff, more success, uh, more holiness. We try to fill it with everything else but God. And we keep walking away thinking, this is not enough. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I'll try harder, do more. God is calling us into this love. He, we were meant for this relationship with Him. And so I'm wondering if maybe, actually I'm sort of beyond wondering, I think, I'm, I'm almost convinced that, that this longing we have means that something is right. Is this longing we have for God? The trouble is that I don't think it's going to be satisfied until we are with Him, until He returns again. Sometimes that's hard to hear. I don't know if you've heard that before. 
that this longing we have may not be satisfied, or probably, I would say, won't be satisfied until we are with God. Now, granted, he gives us moment of joy and contentment, especially when we're close to him. But maybe this longing we have, we're supposed to have, like a hunger that keeps us pursuing God, that keeps us pursuing him, that we would never be satisfied with this amazing God. I start thinking about what this means for us and how this starts to work out is like you know, the, this difference between a God of better blessing, or sorry, God of better blessing and a God of better hope. Because it begins to grow hope in us. To hope in that one day things will be made right when we are with God. Help us endure the things now. As Paul talks about in Romans, that we have suffering because that begets perseverance, and perseverance begets character, and character hope. And hope won't disappoint us. See, it's interesting because it begins to talk about this God of better blessing is a God who is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. I mean, God desires us to be happy. That's true. Like any good father, he desires us to be happy. But more than happy, he desires that we would be holy. That's God's chief desire is that we would be holy. So when things happen in our marriage, our marriage starts to struggle and things feel horrible. Things begin to go wrong with our kids. Things begin to go wrong with our health or with our work. You know, we want relief. God, get me out of this. Make this right. Just fix it, please. And I believe that God will grow us through this. Rather than just fixing things, He grows us through it. Because he's more concerned. he wants us to be happy, that's true. But more than that, he wants us to be holy. Following Jesus is going to take a lot from us. It's going to require a lot. That we don't settle for this God of better blessing. That we keep pursuing this God of better hope, even though it will be difficult. And it's going to be hard. There are going to be times when it is painful. But if we keep drawing close to God, if we keep trusting Him, we'll be willing to walk through the difficult, to walk through the pain, the loss, and the suffering, and to follow Him through it. As I read through Scripture, as I've lived it in my own life, I believe that God uses pain, God uses suffering in our lives to grow us up, to make us more mature in our faith, in our love for Him. I think of David and Bathsheba, for example. Horrible situation. God could have, could have made David blind for a few minutes, but he would have never seen her and helped her avoid it. I think about Jeremiah in the well. God could have just sprung him from the well, or Elijah in the cave. Elijah, just uh, here's a castle for you in the middle of nowhere to make life easier for you. I think about Paul and the flesh in his side. Or sorry, the thorn in his side. He could have just removed it, like, Paul, you're healed, or, or, or Paul, the, the thorn is gone. Go on about your ministry. But he left those things there. He allowed this pain, this suffering, to grow people up. See, pain is not always bad. God oftentimes uses difficult situations to grow us in faith, to grow us up. I mean, imagine a child... Not my kid anymore. Imagine somebody else's kid. <laughs> Imagine a child, what they would be like if you gave them everything they wanted. Anything they wanted if you gave it to them. How would that child ever learn about patience 
about going without. The things like that that build character. Or what if you always protected them? That every time they were heading for a crisis that you, you fixed it for them, that they, nothing ever bad happened for them. How would they ever learn about consequences or to endure the things that are really hard, things that we don't have control over? I see God doing this in our lives because he loves us. I see God allowing difficulty for us because he loves us. He wants us to grow up, to be strengthened. Like a crucible. A crucible is a place where you burn metals, you burn off the impurities to make them pure. Or think about the fires of a forge where you you burn metal to make it harder, to make it stronger. God does these same things in our lives. The struggle is, is how do we remain there? Because I remember the things that have been really hard for me. The last thing I want, the first, what I wanted to do was get out. God, give me relief. I don't care what it takes. I just don't want to feel like this anymore. And thankfully, I had Christian brothers and, and sisters who kept encouraging me to remain faithful to Him. But there are bigger things than relief. As good as relief feels, as much as we know that we want it, there are more important things than relief. But God is at work. He uses pain. He uses loss and suffering to grow us up in faith. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to glorify suffering. I dislike it as much as everybody else. But I also see the way that God uses it in our lives. There's more to life in this than than these horrible things, but God will use them to grow us in faith. The difficult things. And I I look at it, you know, and I know some of the difficult things that many of you are facing. The struggles that you've had in your own lives. God will use them and is continuing to use them to grow you up in faith. I hope hope you, you hear God speaking to you today. I hope that the Spirit is stirring up your heart encouraging you to to forget about the the relief. To forget about the things because the easy way out usually leads back in. I hope you hear the Spirit speaking to you. That you have this amazing God, this amazing Father in Heaven, this this Savior in Jesus Christ who has come to set you free, to, to bring you hope, to grow you up even through the most difficult things. That He's called you into a relationship with Him. And then if your relationship with Him would be right, if it would be good, then other things will begin to fall in their place. They won't be easy. But you will make it through. You will make it through because you will be following God, not a better blessing, but a God of better hope. And hope will not disappoint you. Amen.